Take your Bibles, please, and turn, if you would, take your Bibles, please. Are we good there? Huh. Okay, I should be good now. Hey, if you need to keep me on the pulpit, Mike, I'll stay there. We've got a new mic we're breaking in. Not Mike Rogers, but new Mike. <laughs> so I'll keep both of them on, Wayne. By the way, I tell you what, I praise God for Wayne up there. How he labors Sunday after Sunday to make sure that the gospel message goes out from this local fellowship. I praise God for that. All right, take your Bibles once again and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians, we will go ahead and read where we started this last, this last week. Last week, the title of the message was Making Much of Christ. This morning, we're looking at Making More of Christ. I got to thinking about this, and again, I was uh, praying with and talking with Brother Tim uh, about when he will be here. He'll be here, Lord willing, Easter Sunday and preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. I apologize greatly, folks. I, I, I did not plan on it this timing, but uh, I'm, they gave me a window and I've got to do this. So, um, but anyway, I, I, most likely I will not be here Easter Sunday. Uh, it'll be not quite three weeks since the surgery and, um, We'll just see, but I, I'll guarantee I won't be here preaching. But what I'm hoping and praying is the message this Sunday is a good segue to not only what the Lord is going to lay on Brother Whiteside's heart, but also when Tim is here. Because very much so, this world needs more of Christ. I mean, there, there are things that are becoming plain, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to share that with you a little bit this morning. But it's just good to get into it's just good into God, get into God's word. You know, I praise God talking to Brother Granby this morning before the service started, and he was talking about how the Lord was speaking to him out of His Word. You know, the Lord does speak. If you want to hear the voice of God, open your Bible. Tell the Lord you're listening, and surrender that heart and mind, and the Lord will speak volumes. He really will. So, as we begin this morning, we'll go ahead and go back to where we started, like I said, last Sunday. And then there's much to cover this morning, and then I have a couple of things I want to share with you. All right. Philippians chapter 1. Once again, let's go to verse 27. The Apostle Paul by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote, Only let your conversation, your manner of life, your behaviors, your citizenship, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given 
in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, listen to this, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Chapter 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. She be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And this is where we rehearse a little bit this morning, go back through what we heard earlier, and then we continue. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I'm reminded so often in getting up in this place and in opening the Word of God. I mean, while I was reading that Scripture, it just it sent a chill down my spine. Because you begin to thinking about this, you, you begin to think about the responsibility this is God's word, folks. This, this is the Bible. This is the holy word of God. And not only is the responsibility in, in reading it, much less preaching and teaching it, but for us all to hear it out. In the study this, this past week, I was amazed. I, I, I think I've told you before, in fact, I know I have, that when I was in construction, I was single. I spent a lot of time just, just doing word studies. I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar. I, I've studied it, but I know where the brains are. And it's fascinating to read, uh, going back into the richness of the book, of, of the languages, the language of this book and seeing how God directed men such as Paul in using specific words to describe what Christ has done for us in this case. And this is why I say, you know, my soul, I hope and pray that we have ears to hear. Remember what our Lord said, that he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So I pray that that is exactly what we are going to do. In verse 5, we ended there this last week, and the Apostle Paul wrote this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we 
talked about this, how what was in the mind of Christ? What did we see? What did the world see in Christ when he was here regarding his the set of his heart, his mind, the actions that came out of that? Well, we saw this. When it came to Christ, he wasn't here to necessarily make his reputation a priority. He had a job to do. The Lord gave him, the Father gave him a job to do. He was humble, obedient, compassionate, forgiving. He was busy doing God's work. He challenged others concerning the need of the hour. He was sympathetic. He was prayerful, steadfast, and he was surrendered to the will of God. No wonder he challenged us with the same thing. He told us, this is how you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will indeed be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was righteous, he never sinned. And he was a servant to others. In looking at what is, what is going on in the world today, I began to meditate on that this last week and which helped bring in the rest of this passage. Folks, we need more. Now please listen. We are his representatives. We need more of the mind of Christ. Because the mind of the wicked one is absolutely just thrusting itself forward. He has his minions. (coughs) Excuse me. He has his demons that are working on mankind. There are things going on in this world, in this state right now, that are nothing less than horrific and stunning. What's going on right now? There's there's not just, you know, confusion and every evil work. You, You would... You'd be amazed at what is going on. I mean, it's bad enough that you have a woman that is running to be on the Supreme Court that cannot tell what a woman is. And I like what somebody said, excuse me, then, then what is the 19th Amendment to the Constitution for when it comes to women being able to vote? But here's the one that was just so sad. And you know, I've, I've had to back off this because of my situation. I've had to back off somewhat with what's going on in the Capitol. But this is, this is amazing. This, this is, this is just incredible. There is a high ranking. I'm just going to say it because it could be Republican as well, but there's a high ranking Democrat, a donor that was just caught with an abundance of child pornography, arrested, and his bail was only $50,000. This is, this is more than disgusting. This just took place. But what is taking place in our state right now, and has already started in a couple of other states, and they've backed off on it, is this situation where not only can they abort a baby that is even at full term, but maybe even after the baby is born. Listen to this. 
There is an assembly bill right now. I told you a different number Wednesday night. I apologize for that. AB 2223. I just want to tell you, listen, Satan is going forward. Do you understand that? If we do nothing, he runs rampant. This is why we need to make more of Christ. There's a fellow by the name of Dean Broyles. I have done many Zoom calls with him when I was active over here with uh, <clears throat> Brother Greg Kirk and the folks that have helped out in the state of California. This is what Dean Broyles wrote. He heads up the National Center for Law and Policy. He says, AB 2223 seeks to legalize the killing of babies in California after birth. Depending on how the term perinatal is interpreted by the courts, this bill legalizes the infanticide of children several weeks after their birth and possibly as late as their first birthday. If this barbaric bill is enacted, there will be no criminal or civil, civil excuse me, liability for the mother or those who assist her with killing her baby post-birth. This is what Life Legal Defense Foundation said. AB 2223 is not only a pro-abortion bill, it removes all civil and criminal penalties for killing babies born alive under any, any, any circumstances. This bill expressly authorizes any person to, to facilitate late-term abortions and infanticide without legal repercussions. This is what our governor is pushing. This is what we're finding here. And then finally, Brad Dacus, Pacific Justice Institute, said this, California lawmakers have crossed a red line by seeking to legitimize the killing of hours-old and even week-old infants. This is not about expanding abortion rights. This is a degree of evil that the overwhelming majority of Americans, regardless of how they identify politically, cannot stomach we will be working to defeat this insane and diabolical bill. By the way, Brad Dacus didn't write this specific piece here, but Matt McReynolds, who is a great guy with Pacific Justice, he's the one that wrote this. And by the way, there's already talk. We're looking at having a rally, a protest at the Capitol. I'm telling you, if I can be there, I will be there. And I hope and pray each and every one of us will. You'd swear that the Nazis won. We have people that are holding up in high regard men like Stalin and Mao Zedong in this nation that were butchers of their own people, and that same kind of spirit is drifting here. Folks, listen. We need more of the mind of Christ. We need more of Christ. And this is why when we open the word of God here, we must recognize not only do we have the answer for eternity, but folks, God has called us here and now. You understand? He's called us here and now. Look at verse 6, if you would, please. I want to remind us, if God's people do not take it seriously, this, what we're about to go into, 
there's no answer to the wickedness of our day. When Christ came, verse 6 says this, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, I want to share share something with you. What we're going to be looking at in the next few verses are, are, are the words that the Apostle Paul used to guide our thoughts into Christ and his thoughts and his actions and his ultimate glory. There is so much in the book of Philippians. But please, let's have ears to hear right now. That verse says, who being in the form of God. Look at the word being. This describes that which a man is in his very essence and which cannot change. So what we read in our English translation brought over from the Greek is this, Christ, who being, who being, here he is, he did not leave his deity behind. He did not shed his deity. He came, and let's keep going. The next word that we want to look at is the word form. That refers to the outward expression of which a person, which a person given of his, of his inmost nature. This expression is not assumed from the outside, but proceeds from within. So it says, who being in the form of God. There's two words that Paul could have used when it comes to the word form. The first one means that which never alters. The second one means that which does change from time to time and circumstance to circumstance. Paul used the first one, that which does not change. He was saying that Jesus is unchangeable. His inner essence was divine. Christ came as God. But now look at this. Who being in the form of God? It doesn't refer to the Godhead, but deity in its essence. Equal with God here refers to our Lord's, if you want to put it this way, our Lord's co-participation with other members of the Trinity and the expression of his divine, of the divine essence. He was God. His outward, his outward form did not change, but he remained being God. He was God when he was born in Bethlehem. He was God when he was 12 years old, speaking to those in the temple. He was God all the way through. And because of that, the Bible says Jesus thought it not to be robbery to be equal with God. This word robbery here is interesting. It can speak of somebody that has grabbed something and they're taking off with it. They've stolen it. But then it's also someone that they have taken up something that belongs to them and they're clutching it because it's precious to them. The key is context. And because of that, we know it's the second, it's the second one that counts. 
It was precious to Christ. Him holding on to that, a treasure to be clutched and retained at all hazards. We're going to see that Christ became fully man. But there's a reason to rejoice in this. He was still fully God. Because there's only one person that can pay the penalty for our sin. And it's not another man. It's the God man. If our Lord did not consider it a thing to be awfully uh, unlawfully seized to be equal with God in the expression of his divine essence, then he would be asserting his rights in that essence. He would be declaring his rightful ownership of that prerogative, but to assert one's right to a thing that does not partake of an attitude of humility and all that. Hey, no. Therefore, the meaning of the word, that meaning will not do here. He was God. Now, look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. Now, this is interesting. It means he literally emptied himself. Here he was, he was God. But when he came, he laid aside the garments of glory. He became a man. You see, fully God, but fully man. That phrase from the, the Greek word here literally means to complete, to empty completely. The apostle Paul uses that word in Romans 4, made void. First Corinthians rendered of none effect. He emptied himself of several divine rights. He emptied himself of his divine glory. Now, because of that, there were those that had their doubts about him. John 7, for neither did his brethren believe in him. We grew up with him. How in the world can this be? He also emptied himself of the riches that he had. He gave up the riches, the blessings, the adoration, the worship of heaven to come here. To come here. In Matthew 20, 28, we read this. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, now listen to this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came as a servant to give his life a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... Ours, folks. Yet for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see what we're starting to see here right now? Here was God come in the flesh. He did it for one reason. You and I need a Savior. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Explain it. I can't. But here's the point. We're given enough in the Word of God to realize this. He who created us loved us and still does. And we haven't even begun, we've begun to get to the point of where it just really takes off. Jesus was born, stop and think of it. He was born in a borrowed stable, laid in a borrowed manger. He used as his pulpit a borrowed boat. 
He fed thousands with a borrowed lunch. He slept in a borrowed bed. He rode his king on a borrowed beast. He observed the Last Supper in a borrowed room. He was mocked as king in a borrowed robe. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He wasn't planning on staying. Praise God for that. The glory of divinity Jesus gave up willingly in order to become a man because there were things that he wanted to pour out to us. He wanted to pour out his love. Listen, he wanted to pour out and shed his blood. He gave it all. He emptied himself of his divine rights for us without surrendering his divine abilities. He was, he is, and he will forever be God. This is something that we need to grasp. Hold on. The Bible says he took on the form of a servant. This is not talking about an exchange. It's an addition. Now this is where it, I just, again, it gets fascinating here. He added humanity to his divinity. He became the God-man. Use the word form again here, the same one he did uh, earlier. The translation that we can see here is emptied himself, having taken the form literally of a bond slave. Now, there, there's, there's lessons for us here. We sometimes wind up trying to get ourselves wrapped up in pride for what God has done in us. We have nothing to be proud of. Anything and everything that we have is because of what he's bestowed on us. Recognize that. Now, we, we, might, we might not look that far at times into us, but the point is, the, the fact of the matter, we got fact checkers today all over the place, well, you know something? The Bible is sure a good fact checker. And here's a good fact check. We got nothing to be proud of with what our God has done. Jesus was made in the likeness of men. This word, it stresses similarities but leaves room for improvements. He was made in the likeness of us. But again, and there's a reason why I'm stressing this. He was still God. He was still God. We, we can use this having taken that expression. When expressing himself as a bond slave come to, to serve, he exchanged one form of expression to another. I, I have something to show you about that in just a moment. This is in direct opposition of what took place at the transfiguration, if you remember, he walked up, he's showing his humanity, but then he showed his divinity. Our Lord's usual emotion, excuse me, mode of expression on earth before his resurrection was that of a servant. Again, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. But now his outward expression, as a servant ceased, he was being shown the glory of his deity. Here in Philippians, the change of expression is reversed. 
instead of giving outward expression of his, di- his deity, he gives outward expression of his humility in becoming a servant to mankind. Now, now stop and rest on that. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit help us get that a little bit. Because there's something that the Word of God is about to reveal to us. And it's stunning. But the point is this. He laid aside the garments, folks. Now, again, explain it completely. I can't. Sometimes we run crazily back. We go all the way back to before the beginning, and we go, why did the Lord even create humanity knowing what it would cost him? Answer, I don't know. I've heard people give speculation, and that's all it is, is speculation. But I do know this, and you do too, folks, you do too, that we look around and man has sinned, but we have seen God make a change in mankind, and it has been a blessing. The salvation that we have, and yet so many are rejecting it. That is stunning. He did not empty himself of his deity. He set aside the outward expression of his deity when expressing himself as a bond slave. The basic natural desire of deity is that of being glorified. But when deity sets these aside... It sets its desires aside, and that's exactly what Christ did. He gave us an excellent picture of all this. Keep your finger there in Philippians 2. I want you to go back to John 13. I did not fully comprehend this until I started studying this. But this is fascinating. Go back to John 13, because what Christ did, he gave a picture at this time of what he had done. Watch, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them until the end. And supper being ended. The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. Now, do you see what he just did? He laid aside his garments. It's a picture of what he did coming here. And after, and after that, he poureth water into a basin and became and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He's showing himself as a servant. Then cometh he to Simon, Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? 
Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do now knowest not thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And I thought, that's a fascinating picture as well. Because when we realize what Christ is doing for us, did to us, the response of the heart that loves the Lord says, listen, do it all, Lord. Do it all. But watch. Let's go to verse 9. Excuse me, verse 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. And you know, sadly, that's a situation in churches today. There are some that in the heart are going, no, not everything. Not everything. I just heard the story of someone who used to be amongst us. They're having too much fun now. Too much fun with the world. Folks, that's horrifying. And especially after we read what we're going to be reading here shortly. But watch this. Look at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, he was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye not what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, And ye say, well, for so I am. Now, he set aside his garments. Now he's put them back on and he's saying this, I am your master. See, he set those aside, but he's still God come in the flesh. What a picture he has shown what Paul is talking about in Philippians. Look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also, excuse me, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Do you realize what he just said there? If we live like he lived, he set aside, he set aside his deity in this. He did not partake of the glory of it, not stopping to be God come in the flesh, but allowing himself the glory of that, he said, now listen, this is what I did. Now you do the same. We are coming into a time when we are going to be servants more and more to each other in the body of Christ. That's what made the first century church shine in the eyes of those that beheld them way back when, who would sing 
coming out of the catacombs of Rome after they had buried someone, who rejoiced in their God even as they were being put to death for his sake. We, we, this, this is something we need to grasp, folks. This is meditation time. This is understanding the possibilities of what we're going into. This is not to fear. This is not to fear at all. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see? And what he did for them then, he does for us now. This is not time for Christians to hide in the hills. This is for Christians a time to stand fast in Christ. Go back to Philippians, if you would, please. So he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. He became man. Now stop and think about this. This is one of the things that we find here that's stunning as we come up to this. Do you remember when Christ came to his disciples in his glorified body? And what did he say to Thomas? Reach hither. Look at my hands. Reach in. Feel in my side. Do you realize that for all eternity there will be one person that shows the scars of sin. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, but he will be bearing the scars of our sin that he paid on the cross. Think of it. When we gather around the Bema seat, wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stone, and we see them, there they are. God come in the flesh, the Son of God. He was and is today a person with two natures, absolute deity and humanity. That's what he took on. He became in the likeness of of sin. That which is made like something else, that was Christ. Look at verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now watch this. He humbled himself. The word humble means to bring low In a secular document, it talks about the Nile running low. That's what is used here. He brought himself low, even to the death, unto the death of the cross. Not to the death. Jesus has always been master of death. But he volunteered. He came to that point to purchase our redemption. And it wasn't just a death like somebody being stabbed. Even the death of 
the cross. See, this was a stumbling block. The Jews, when they saw the cross, thought there is no way our Messiah could suffer there. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. How in the world could God, could, could the Messiah come and go through that? The, the punishment of the cross was meted out by the, by the Romans for disgusting people, people that were, that had committed crimes like treason, excuse me, desertion in the face of the enemy, robbery, assassination. It's written by those that took account of the death on the cross in Romans times. It was preceded by scourging in order to hasten the death. Once on the cross, the person was usually left to starve to death. They would also be roasted by the sun or chilled in the cold nights, tormented by flies who were laying eggs in their wounds and biting at their flesh. Also, there were wild dogs. Wild birds, if a person was nailed to a cross, a drink was given and the help deadened the pain. The pain was awful. The suffering was intense, especially in the hot climates. The jagged wounds from the whipping, aggravated by the sun. There were, there was swelling that was around the nails. The wounds, the tendons and nerves produced extreme pain. Arteries in the head and the stomach overfilled with blood, a a horrific, throbbing headache ensued. In other words, you could put it like this, it was a long way down from heaven's throne to Calvary's cross. But that's what he did. He became obedient unto death. Why does he say that? He said, lo, I came, I come to do thy will, O God. Now look at verse 9. Wherefore, because of this voluntary act of humility, of all that he has done, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You know why people, when they hit their their hand with a hammer, don't say, Buddha! Satan wants to make sure that the name of Christ is cursed everywhere it can be. He hates the name. He despises the name. We're in the midst of something that is stunning beyond anything we can fathom, but one day we'll know. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that used to worship with us in this building right here. They'd be saying to us right now, oh, mercy, if you only saw what I if you could only see what I see. We'll get there. We'll get there. But until then, with the eye of faith, hey, God hath also highly exalted him. Wherefore, because of this voluntary act, he has highly exalted him. Literally, 
exalt to the highest rank and power possible. That exaltation means his resurrection from death. Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought in Christ, which he, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. His ascension to heaven, Acts 1.9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. The cloud received him out of their sight. When it comes to his coronation, Matthew 28, 18, listen to this. Before he ascended, he looked at the disciples and he said, all power, literally all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. You want power? Boy, if I could only be president. Forget president. I'm a child of God. He's got the power. He has the authority. John 17, 5. Christ in his, pre, in his high priestly prayer. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And he has done just that. And so what has happened? He is there. He's our high priest. 1 Peter three twenty two, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels, authorities, and powers being made subject unto him. He's back, folks. But you know what he's doing while he's there? He is interceding for us. Now pull over and park on that just for a minute. He's interceding for us right now. Our God is almighty. He is involved with the service here at this church right now as much as he is involved in every other aspect of his kingdom in this world. Listen to me. Right now. We have the potential of grasping truth, all the truth that we need, in order to extend his kingdom right now. God is not giving us, you know, a, a, a side seat. He's not saying, listen, I'm a little more busy with what's going on in Ukraine. No. I, I'm a little more busy with what's going on in China or in North Korea or elsewhere where children of his are truly suffering more than we have any idea with. You realize, by the way, we have missionaries that are suffering a little bit right now that we support. You think about the youngs in Russia. They have decisions to make. We've got missionaries in Taiwan. China's looking at Taiwan. By the way, I'm not going to go into detail right now, but folks, and I mentioned this to the people Wednesday night, it gives me great grief to tell you that we've lost a missionary family this last week. Not through death, but the death of a marriage. Now, the Lord can still do something, but I'm telling you, Satan is playing dirty. That's his forte. We need to continue to pray for these people. They are 
precious people. They are very precious people. Through the Old Testament, our God spoke. You know, one day, we're going to be on our knees. In Isaiah 45, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. In his name, the forgiveness of sin is preached. In his name, we come to him in prayer. No wonder, finally, Thomas responded to the Lord, my Lord and my God. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I'm, I'm stressing this for a reason. Look again, go back if you would please to Philippians chapter 2 and look again at verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every th- of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when we give the Scripture, when we give the Scripture for salvation, we read in Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to this. In the New Testament, Christ is called Lord 651 and 651 verses, versus Savior 24. In the book of Acts, Jesus is called Savior twice and Lord 92 times. Jesus is Lord. Now, it's interesting in this struggle, when we come to Christ, we recognize that he is God. The moment we trust Christ as Savior, we wind up being in the battle of him being Lord of our lives. That's what Romans 7 is about. Here we are recognizing that he is large and in charge. Listen. If somebody comes and confesses Christ as Savior, but lives and acts and talks like he's never going to be Lord in my life, we got a problem. There are some that will give lip service to that. Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? I'm paraphrasing. And what is it that the Lord responds with? Depart from me, I never knew you. Salvation is serious business. And there are people that are struggling and stumbling along today because quite honestly, they don't, they don't realize, recognize what it means to have that new master. And there are some that have rejected that And they're going to go to the wrong judgment. They're not going to be at the Bema seat. 
It's going to show, just like Demas, who forsaken me, Paul said, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. And it might not be Thessalonica, but there are those that toyed with the idea of salvation. But the fact of the matter is, their heart was still here. Remember Lot's wife. That's why we're given that. So we read, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The context speaks of the name. The name that Christ is given by the Father. I got to thinking about this. When the Lord comes, he will be on that white horse coming down to begin his rule and reign for a thousand years. And it says that on his thigh is the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our God. Now listen, again, a verse that I mentioned in John. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This is fascinating. We're going to get to heaven and we will see him bearing the scars of the price of our sin. But he will be king of kings. I stand before you as someone that is speechless in this. But I'm telling you this. It's wonderful to meditate on. It's not that far away, folks. It's not that far away. And so now, here we are. The ecclesia, the called out ones. Here we are, representing him. I had an opportunity to give someone a gospel track yesterday, and I didn't do it. I've been feeling ashamed of it ever since. I'm his representative. I don't know how many of you had the same opportunity this last week and you didn't do it. But I know him. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. On the other hand, you saw the dumpster that was out here. Brother Whiteside said we could have filled up another one. Again, like I said, the fellow that brought that out, he and I started talking. I'm starting to give him a gospel, him a gospel tract. He got saved 11 years ago. And the Lord has done great works in his life, a great work in his life. Boy, it's great to get with people where God has done something like that. Got him away from his addictions. Got him in worshiping Christ. Oh, I tell you what, what a joy it is to speak of those things. That's our God. Let's remember this. One day, we will all be on our knees rejoicing and worshiping Him. Until then, let's be doing the same thing now. Let's make more of Christ. We're going to pray, and then I have a couple of things I want to share with you.